Well, we're in a series that we're calling Three Relationships. In fact, we're going to conclude it today, but we're not concluding three relationships. In fact, you've heard a number of times through the series that we're using three relationships as the lens to look at and examine everything we do as a church. And so if the gospel is the center around which those relationships spin, then everything we do as a church should fit into one of those categories. Maybe there are some gaps, things need to be added. Maybe there are some other things that need to be tweaked. And so we want you to know we're not putting three relationships on the, on the shelf. You'll be hearing lots about that. Now, in this series, we've been using the Gospel of Mark as kind of the well from which we draw the things that we're talking about. We're not concluding Mark either. In fact, we're going to stay in the Gospel of Mark right up to Easter. You know, the Gospels kind of end with the resurrection. But there's an interesting shift that happens in the middle of Mark. The first eight chapters or so, they lay out the principles of discipleship and Jesus is presented as the Messiah and a crowd's beginning to gather and follow. He's calling his disciples, but then the shift occurs in the middle and all of a sudden it's kind of like discipleship 201 after that. And then you learn when Jesus says, I, just like I did not come to be served, but to serve and give myself a ransom for many, that's what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you as my followers not to be served or to put yourself in a position where you believe people are there for your benefit, but we are there for their benefit. So after we conclude the three relationships part, we're going to continue looking at Mark and look at, you know, kind of the upper class um, courses on what it means to be a disciple and follow Jesus. Now, before we get into our passage this morning, I want to clear up one area that some of you may be confused on. We talk a lot about, we've been talking in this series a lot about disciple and discipleship, but I want you to know a disciple is not like an upper class Christian. A disciple is not someone who's better than others or is kind of signed up for, you know, the varsity. No, no, no. All of Christ's followers are disciples. If we're going to say it accurately, we'd say it like this. Many disciples are not living like disciples but they are disciples. All followers of Jesus are disciples. All followers of Jesus are Christian. So it's not we get a second level. It's that maybe we need to take inventory and assess what changes may need to be made. Well, in that vein, we're going to look at a parable this morning. The first parable we come across in Mark. And uh, this parable is about the seeds and soils. And we're going to kind of work our way through it. But uh, before we do that, I want to say a couple of things about parables. Um, Mark gives this as the first one. And it's almost as if he's saying, if you'd learn some principles about how to interpret parables here, as he interprets this for us, you can carry those lessons through and use those principles to understand the other parables too. Well, right out of the chute, we have a question then. Why did Jesus talk in parables? Why did he tell stories? Because he gets us. He understands we love stories. Kim and I went out for Valentine's dinner last night, and you won't believe what happened. Nothing really. We had a good dinner. But I know one thing. Those of you that had me tuned out for the first part of this message, all of a sudden tuned in, didn't you? You thought you were going to get some juicy details about the story. Some catastrophe happened at dinner. No, but boy, don't our ears immediately pick up. 
Don't our senses immediately get heightened when we think a story's coming? That's why Jesus told stories. Now, how does a parable fit with the story? Well, here's what parables are. Jesus uh, looks around, kind of assesses life, and he takes common occurrences. But then after he lays out the common occurrence that everybody in his audience would be familiar with, he then takes a, a spiritual principle, a spiritual truth, and he kind of throws it alongside that normal occurrence. And he does that for a couple of reasons. Every time his listeners, and you and I, see that common occurrence, we'll think of the principle. Or maybe as we think and wrestle with the story, the principle kind of takes root a little deeper in our lives. So some of the parables you're familiar with, Jesus says things like this. Have you heard about the shepherd who lost one of his prized sheep? He immediately leaves him and desperately searches for the sheep. Or how about the woman? She misplaces a coin or it's lost somehow. One-tenth of all of her assets. She's distraught. She immediately in desperation searches for the coin. You've seen people like that? If you've ever seen somebody like that or you felt that in losing something and desperately seeking, you know, just a little slice of God's heart trying to find people that have wandered from him. See, the common occurrence and a spiritual principle. So now when you lose something or when you see somebody desperately searching, God can bring into our minds, oh yeah, God's seeking, God's desperately looking for those that have wandered from him. And so Jesus tells lots of stories. Crotchety judges, lazy employees, buried treasure, and all those stories are semi-common, but when you see or remember the story, the spiritual principle will come to mind. Well, what is it about parables? We could talk about parables. I want to mention two things that you need to keep in mind with this parable and others that you read. The first thing is parables reveal and parables conceal. They reveal certain things, but then they conceal certain things. Um, Jesus is revealing how his kingdom, how the influence of the gospel spreads He's also concealing some of that in the story to those who have hard hearts, to those that have already rejected him, um, to those that have made up their mind or confused and don't care. They never quite get it. But to those that are interested, to those who wrestle, to those who take the story and mull it over in their minds, they kind of get it. Now, why would he do that? Because the way Jesus brings his kingdom and the way the gospel engages and influences culture is politically incorrect. And it's religiously incorrect. Here's what the politics of the day were like to all the Jewish folks. Here's what they were thinking. Yeah, one day God's going to send the Messiah. And when he arrives, he with great fanfare, pomp, circumstance, and a victory is going to smash Rome. He's going to elevate the Jews to the place where they need to be on top of him, and it's going to happen quickly. But that's not how it goes. Now, Jesus could have said that. He probably would have been shouted down or maybe run out of town on a rail. And so he tells a story about influence that starts small, and it's gradual and takes time. It was also religiously incorrect because... The Jews thought the Messiah would come 
they would be the ones led in his train to a place of victory, to a place of, to a high position. And Jesus says, no, no, you guys don't understand. This is not an exclusive kingdom. This is for anyone who cares to come. For anyone that, that can acknowledge their problem and accept the solution, this kingdom's open for everybody. So do you see the necessity of revealing and concealing? If he made everything crystal, crystal clear in statements, he would have probably been killed early on in his ministry without having the seeds planted. He reveals and he conceals. That's what, pro, that's what parables do, both together. But here's the point you really need to know before I read the parable. Parables are designed by Jesus for you to read yourself into the story. He doesn't tell stories about people over there. You say, boy, it's terrible to be them. I'm glad I'm not like those. I'm more. No, Jesus tells parables to force us to look into the mirror of that parable and say, who do I most resemble in that story? Who in the story, which character is most like me? Maybe the most famous parable in the Old Testament is told to David by Nathan the prophet. David had uh, committed adultery with uh, Uriah's wife Bathsheba. He then had Uriah murdered, and David thinks he gets away with it. Nathan comes, and uh, maybe he's a little fearful that King David, after he killed one guy, would kill him too if he came out and just said it. So he tells him a story. He says, hey, David, can you, I got a story to tell you. There's this poor guy in the kingdom. He's only got one lamb. He lives next to a really rich guy. You know, urban planning wasn't working real well. So you get this really, really rich guy living next to this dirt poor guy. The really rich guy has like a giant flock. He has a guest come to his house. And, you know, back in those days, hospitality was at the top of the heap. And so rather than going into his flock and taking an animal to... He sneaks over the fence, steals his neighbor's one lamb, and has that for dinner. Now, David, a former shepherd, is ticked, right? In fact, in my mind, David is kind of scrunching up his face and rubbing his hands. And where does this guy live, Nathan? We're not having lamb, but there's going to be something tonight. Uh, Nathan then says, David, you are the man. And David is cut to the quick, right? You know, we could read every parable of Jesus like that. You are the man. You are the woman. Parables are meant for you and for me to read our lives into the story, to understand what's going on and make appropriate change. That's kind of the point. So now you understand how parables work. Turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to read the parables. Very familiar. We don't have to spend lots of time on the details. We'll kind of walk through. And then uh, we'll ask you some of those uh, is it you questions at the end. Uh, verse 1 of Mark chapter 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things in parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. 
so that they did not bear, bear fruit or grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, 60, and some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let him hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others gathered around him and asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those who are outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, they hear the word at once and receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others are like seeds sown among thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. It's kind of an interesting story, right? Reveal and conceal. Read your life in the story. Well, uh, what's the key to the parable? What's the key? Now, Jesus is teaching us how to read parables here. Here's what you need to learn about parables. Usually, the variable is what determines the meaning, right? In this parable, there's only one variable. Everything else is exactly the same four times. And so let's go through them. The first thing is the seed doesn't change, right? The seed is, this is not a parable about good seed and bad seed. There are other parables Jesus tells about good seed and bad seed. That's not this parable. In this parable, the seed remains the same. And isn't it interesting that the seed has power but requires certain circumstances, right? That all the energy to produce fruit, all the energy, you know, think of what seeds have done around your house, right? The seed has the power to grow down roots and crack your sidewalk up. That little tiny seed, in that little seed is unbelievable power. In that seed, in the parable, producing a crop 30, 60, 100 times. It's all in, but in this story, the seeds don't change. The seed is constant. The seed is the word. The seed is the gospel, right? That's the idea. And that doesn't change. Also, the sower doesn't change. It's not that we get good sowers and bad sowers. There are other parables about good sowers and bad sowers. That's not this parable. In fact, in this parable, um, on first read, you may think, not only is this guy a sower, he's a stupid sower, right? Seed's pretty expensive. What farmer in his right mind would plant a lot of seed on the road? What farmer would throw his seed into the place where he knows the soil's real shallow? What farmer wouldn't weed before he put the seed in? But this is not a parable at all. This is a parable more about soils because the soils change. Did you notice that? You got one sower and he doesn't change and he's extravagantly, graciously throwing seed everywhere. And what's the point? The point there is the sower is not prejudging the soils. 
When we talk about, last week we talked about engagement, right? That's, you know, the third of the circles, right? World. As we engage with the world, as we live a contagious life, as we reach out in discipleship to those around us, we are not to prejudge the soils. Boy, how many times do we get in? Well, yeah, I'm just wasting my time with that person. I'm not going there. No, no. The sower doesn't prejudge the soils. He extravagantly stuff. But the seed, the soils change. There's soil that's a path. Now, that's not blacktop. That would be a path through a field that has been walked on. And it's walked on, walked on, right? Animals, people, and it's real hard. And so the parable is when the seed hits the road, it can't get into the soil. And eventually the birds come and take it away. There's other soil that is shallow. You know, in Palestine there, just a few inches under the soil, there's kind of a rocky foundation or ledge. And if you plant seed there, there's not enough depth for the roots to get deep enough that when the sun comes out, they're able to draw nourishment from deep down. And so that soil, when difficulties come, when the sun comes out, it just withers and blows away. Other soil has lots of competition in it, right? In this soil, there's weeds, there's thorns, there's thistles, there's other stuff growing. And the seed there, it gets choked out, right? Some of you have gardens. And, you know, sometimes the weeds just choke out the stuff you're trying to produce. The fourth soil is a good soil. It's fertile. There's no weeds. It has depth. It's not on the road. The seed can sink and germinate. And and that seed produces a great crop. So what changes? Soils. That's why I would prefer that this parable not be called the parable of the sower. It's not really a parable about the sower. There's actually a parable about soils. This is a parable of the soils. That's the variable. That's where the meaning is going to be coming from. Is it beginning to hurt yet? Um, Right? We're not the sower. We're not the seed. Oh, yeah. We are the soils. You see where Jesus is going? Make sure you read yourself. Well, that'll be at the end. Uh, Here are some lessons. Let me tease out some lessons. Uh, The first lesson that is pretty obvious in the story is it all hinges on hearing. It hinges on hearing. Spiritual life and growth come about by hearing. Hearing. You may be thinking, what's the big deal with hearing? Well, hearing is like one of the primary gates to the inside of you. Other parts of the Bible talk about your eyes being the lamp, right? That through your eyes, stuff gets on the inside But through our ears, that's an important gate. That's how stuff gets inside of you. Spiritual growth, spiritual life come from hearing. That's bad news. Because we're terrible at hearing. Don't look at me like that. I get to watch you most Sunday mornings. Most of you are not listening when I'm up here talking. And thus I say, let me tell you this really good story. And then you're focused, right? We're terrible at hearing. Well, if spiritual life and spiritual growth come from hearing and we're terrible at hearing, that's bad news. Well, rather than just pick on you, I need to. I am a terrible listener. I'm really bad at hearing. Now, part of it's not my fault. (laughs) A good part of it is that I'm a man. And for those of you women and men, you know, men can only do one thing at a time. I'm often amazed when I'm sitting doing something. Kim can do a few things at the same time. I cannot. And so she hasn't quite learned that lesson yet. 
but she needs to, if I'm watching TV, if this, so this afternoon, you know, 6.30, I cannot have a conversation. I cannot read a book. I cannot look at a magazine. I'm watching TV. Now, how does that get me in trouble? If I'm watching TV, if the news is on or I'm watching something and Kim's talking to me, one of them will be on mute. <laughs> and it's usually not the TV. Sorry. You know how that works? Now, Kim can do that. She can watch TV, have a conversation, read the little scroll at the bottom. I can't do that. Parents, you know what that's like. We have selective hearing, particularly when the kids ask us for money. That's on mute, right? We didn't quite hear them. I'm terrible at hearing in a meeting. Well, the elders and staff, they're kind of, yeah, you got that right. Um, but here's why. A lot of stuff happens at a meeting, a lot of downtime, right? I know that. I don't know if There's a lot of stuff I need to get done. So at a meeting, I, I'm doing other things, or often, I'm composing my next talk, right? Not talk to you the next time I'll speak at the meeting, right? I'm listening to gather, in, to gather ammunition for when I will then share my wisdom, that's not really listening. And so if the key to spiritual life and growth comes from hearing, we're in trouble. In fact, as you read through the parable, all four soils hear. Did you see that? Did you just get any information? They all hear. The path hears, right? The soil on shallow, right? it hears. The one with the weeds, it hears. And the good soil, they all hear. Um, you may have missed this, though, but I don't think it's a coincidence. The productive, fertile, producing soil, the word hear for that soil is the only hear in the present tense. The others are all heard. The soil, yeah, it heard it. It heard it. It heard it. This soil hears it. You know what, I, what I'm reminded of when I read that? James chapter 1. How many of us are like, you know, the person gets up, goes to the mirror, sees all the stuff that needs to be fixed, right? Most of you looked in the mirror this morning. Thanks. Um, but if you hear but don't hear, you don't hear in the present, you don't make any changes. You see yourself in the mirror, you walk away, and you're good. That's the hearing of the first three soils, Right? So hearing is absolutely essential, but it's not just having the words go in, it's thinking about the words, reflecting on the words, mulling the words over. Oh yeah, here's a good biblical word, meditating on the words. That's what hearing means. All right, we gotta move on, foreign lessons. Not just come from hearing, they emerge from the gospel. As I said, the seed is the one that has the power. It's not the soil, right? For example, if you were to take rocks, you know, a couple screws, nuts and bolts, and you were to dig up your garden and you were to plant the rocks and put the screws in there and the nuts and cover it up, and you watered those stones and uh, nuts and bolts every day. And if it was cloudy, you put a heat lamp over them, right? A sunlight. Nothing would grow, right? The power's in the seed. The power's not in the soil. You can plant stuff that's not going to germinate and bring life, and you're still not going to get life. It's the seed that has the power, right? All spiritual growth in life emerge from the gospel. They don't emerge from the soil. They emerge from the seed that God plants in the soil. That's important to remember. Next lesson. Now, growth is normal. It's gradual. I hate that one. 
and it's mysterious. Healthy things grow. Healthy things produce fruit. If it's not healthy, it's not growing. Now, growth's pretty amazing, right? It's not really uncommon for a baby. I don't know how big they are, number one, five to 12 pounds. Yeah, women are always into how much they weigh. I, they're, they're little, right? Five to 12 pounds. Do you realize it's not uncommon for a child to triple its weight the first year? So by the end of the first year, you get like a 24-pounder. If that rate of growth continued, that baby would weigh about 650 pounds by the time she was four. By the time the boy was 13, he'd weigh like 3 million pounds. I'd like to buy a shirt for that kid, right? Um, so uh, what am I saying? Yeah, it's normal, but it's gradual and mysterious. There are seasons, right? I don't know how many times I've talked to people and they say, boy, you know, I feel like I'm really not growing. Well, maybe that's a problem or maybe it's not a problem right now. There are seasons, you know, like now we're kind of in dormal, dormancy. I'm ready for spring to come, though. And well, not a whole lot of stuff's growing in winter. There are seasons to our spiritual lives. Growth is normal. It's gradual. It's mysterious. We, we can't look at it and see it. Remember when your little kid was in the, in the crib, you'd look in. Even if they were going through a growth spurt, I know you never call, look, come on over, honey. I see his legs. He's growing right in the crib. It, it doesn't work like that, right? It's normal. You can kind of see it after the fact. It's gradual, so gradual you can't see it. And it's mysterious. We don't know how it works. Spiritual growth is like that. That's why Jesus loves agrarian living kind of parables. Next lesson requires the right response. Now notice, it's the seed that has the power, but the soil needs to respond appropriately to the seed. The soil has to accept it. The soil has to allow it to go deeply inside. It's the right response. And I know that Jesus tells this parable right at the beginning of Mark to begin to answer the question, why are there all these different responses to Jesus in the gospel? Like the Pharisees just harden their heart. They're trying to look for ways to kill the guy. His family members think he's nuts. Lots of people have questions that are confused. And a few crazy disciples, they're following him. Why all these responses? So Jesus tells them a story. The story is about the proper or the right response in the midst of lots and lots of other responses. The right response is required. In the last lesson... Spiritual life and spiritual growth produce fruit. The point of planting seed is to produce a crop. Now, if you spin that over into the spiritual world, can I say it like this? The mission of Jesus is not simply to come so we can all be forgiven of our sins. That's an important part of it. But Jesus came gives the gospel so we can be forgiven of our sins, and then planted into the context in which we're in to change it, to bring about fruit and life and to extend the priorities and the values and the mission of Jesus. That's why our motto, right? Continuing what Jesus started. We're not just forgiven of our sins and then you kind of sit in the soil like a stone until the end. No, seeds produce, they grow, they provide foliage, they provide fruit to give life and nourishment to others. 
That's what seeds do. Well, we're almost done. But we have to read ourselves into the story. We didn't do that yet. So here we go. Here's the challenge. And this is where uh, I hand you the ball. It's in your court. Here are the questions. They come right from Jesus. You don't like them? Tell Jesus. He, he told the story. Soils represent hearts in the story. And some hearts are critical and cold. They've already made up their minds. They have kind of a protective coating around them that won't let anything in. Um, but you know what? Parables are, I was thinking of this the other day. Um, parables are like anesthesia. You know, when you take anesthesia, before you know it, the pain's over and you've already been worked on. That's what parables do. You know, a few years ago, I had hernia, hernia surgery. So I can't even say it. I was so scared. Right, hernia. I, I, that's the only surgery I've ever had, right? I don't want any more. I had that. And uh, I've got a really, really low threshold for pain, like, we're, like fractions of an inch off the ground, right? So I get there, and I'm on the cold table, and God says, well, don't worry, uh, Mr. Zimmerman, we've got happy juice for you. I immediately said, well, I can look at that bag over there. You need a lot more happy juice for me. I got a couple, we've got some other bags if you need it. All right. And then he said, okay, just count backwards starting at 10. You got this, right? 10, 9, 8. I think I got to 7. And all of a sudden, when I got to 7, I felt a pinch. And I, whoa, whoa, what are you guys doing? And he started laughing. He said, the surgery's been over for 45 minutes. Right? <laughs> now, here, here's the point of that. We have protective coatings or hard shells around our hearts. Jesus tells parables to penetrate the shell. And when you think, when you wrestle, before you know it, the gospel's kind of inside. And so let me ask you, is your heart hard or soft? You've got that defensive, protective shell around it. Um, if you do, I'll tell you this. A whole lot of tools in God's tool bag to crack that shell. It'd be a whole lot less painful if you get on, if you get on board quickly and allow him to plow up the soil. Is my heart hard or soft? Second question. Is my heart deep or shallow? That's the second soil, right? Are, are you skimming through life? I don't know about you, but it seems like, you know, ever since COVID, we've been trained to skim through life. You know, we skim through work, we skim through vacation, we skim through relationships. We're just kind of living on the surface. We skim through God, you skim through church, skim through Bible, skim through prayer. You know, as long as you're skimming, the seed can't be deep and kind of produce the crop. And are you skimming? Or is there depth to your life, your spiritual life, your relationships, your church life? You know, we're starting small groups. That's a great way for you to go deep. Thirdly, is your life cluttered or uncluttered? That's kind of the third soil, right? Is there a lot of competition in your heart? A lot of competition in your life? Um, I'm sure you've seen uh, or at least heard of the television show Hoarders, right? Um, you've seen that? That's what our lives are like. And can I be so bold as to say, that's what my heart often looks like. Yeah, I love Jesus and I'm seeking to follow him and I love and I'm trying to follow a whole bunch of other stuff too. 
As long as you got all that competition, we need to clean out the clutter a little bit, right? And maybe as you wrestle with the story of the soils, the Spirit's going to prompt you to start cleaning out some clutter to make room for the seed. Or maybe the last one is yours. Is your heart fertile and your life fruitful? The last one's the easiest one to see. Are you producing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Are you producing that stuff? Or are you producing the weeds of the world, right? Selfishness, anger, criticism. What, what, what crop are you producing? Oh, yeah, and how about influencing, impacting, engaging with others? And can I say something that I think needs to be said? Faithfulness and fruitfulness are not mutually exclusive. Jesus expects both. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, I may not be bearing much fruit, but I'm faithful. What? No, no, no. There are rare exceptions. You read through the Bible, maybe somebody like a Jeremiah. Are you really like a Jeremiah? Somebody who's faithful but not much fruit. Normally, those two go together. If you're faithfully following Jesus, you will be producing character qualities, fruit of the Spirit, and you will be influencing and affecting and extending the kingdom to those around you. Faithfulness and fruitfulness are not mutually exclusive. They go together. So how are you doing? The game's not until late this afternoon. I got an afternoon assignment for you. Sometime today, maybe you and your spouse, the kids, or just you alone. Read through Mark 4 again, 1 to 20. Now that you know how parables work, now that you know the challenge of the parable, read it through. Honestly answer the questions that we ended with. If we could come to a solid God-honoring conclusion, I have the sneaking suspicion our lives and our church would be radically different. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this story for this parable, and for the others that come in the Scripture that we didn't have time to look at, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to wrestle with them and to come to the right conclusions. And now, Lord, as we continue the service and as we move to the collection of the offering, may we see that as another opportunity, another way that we can worship and honor you in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.